I'm so just pleased to be with you this morning. I'm so happy to be here to be speaking and to, uh, especially on this important chapter, and actually the, this first half of the chapter that we're going to be covering this morning is some of the most important verses I think that we can cover. Uh, I don't say that as just pastoral hyperbole, and you, you probably think that I do, but that's all right. Um, but these are really important verses, important truths, important uh, things that we need to remember. And what the Apostle Paul does here is something very important for us to remember. Because not, this is a, 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 a passage that resonates with me, but also it is very relevant for where we are, not just as a church, uh, but as a country. And so it's important, I hope that you listen and pay attention. I will try not to take too much of your time. But as we begin, I just want to say this, and you've probably noticed I wear glasses. I have just absolutely awful vision. Just believe me, you have to trust me. <laughs> if you were to look through my eyes, you would literally probably shudder at sort of the blurriness of the world around you. Remember that story in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus heals the blind man, and the blind man says that he sees trees, men as trees walking? Well, that's sort of me without my glasses on. <laughs> I see people as trees. Um, no, it's, I, I have really bad vision. Um, even worse than that, though, I have really, really, really awful night vision. You know, like when the lights turn off and uh, your eyes start adjusting to the dark, right? It, God has made your eyes remarkably with this ability to see in the dark. You have sort of a built-in, uh, albeit dim, but you have a night vision, and it takes your eyes a while to adjust. But uh, mine, I, I, it's just awful. I can't really see, and it's really bad. I, and I've stubbed my toe. I can't tell you how many times in the dark trying to go to the bathroom at night. It's just really bad. <laughs> um, but it's, I think it's remarkable, just the miracle of science, of biology, right, that God has made your eyes with the ability to adjust to the dark. They take in light and your, uh, the, all these millions of photoreceptors in your eyes, when you turn off the lights, begin working. They start adjusting to uh, let in new levels of light and whatnot. And that time period between turning the lights off and you being able to sort of see is, is different for everyone, but for me it's just terrible. Um, but after a few minutes, your eyes sort of adjust. They, they can start making out shapes and shadows. And I think that's really cool. That getting used to the dark is an awesome, awesome biological wonder. It truly is. It's, it's a wonder. It's a miracle of the human body that God designed it that way. But I would say getting used to the dark is a very terrible spiritual motto. Hear me. Getting used to the dark is not what God wants you to do. It's bad advice for the Christian. And in fact, I think the Apostle Paul here at the beginning of Ephesians 5, this is what he's writing against. He is reminding these Ephesian Christians, don't get used to the dark. Don't let your eyes acclimate to the darkness that surrounds you. So you see, Ephesus was a city. It was a large commercial city. It was bustling with people from all over the world. It was a major sort of trading port uh, right near uh, Asia Minor. And it was full of just filthy people, full of foul people. And I, I think, you know, when Paul is describing these people in verse 3 where he says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, I think he's describing the people that were around the Ephesian church. He's not just describing sinners, he's describing people that they were familiar with, that they were surrounded by. 
And so what he's saying here is that though you, Ephesians, though you are surrounded and perhaps, yes, you are inundated with moral darkness, with social darkness, civil darkness, with immorality all around you, they, you, Ephesians, differentiate yourselves by the light. That's what he says in verse 8, important verse, what Pastor Jay mentioned earlier, for ye were sometimes in darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk therefore as children of light. Differentiate yourselves from the darkness by walking in light. This is your calling. This is what he was trying to uh, sort of uh, impassion and motivate these Ephesian Christians by. And it's important that we notice First of all, just kind of right off the bat, that he's not calling them for, to, to be sort of uh, alienated, right? He's not call, uh, as Christians, we are not monks. We don't separate ourselves from all of society and sort of enclose ourselves off in this little haven and we don't infiltrate the world. No, we are called to be in, in part of the world. It's just he is calling these Christians to disassociate themselves, from the world. That's what he means. Look at verse 7 of our text where he says, Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Or you can say, Don't be partners with them. Don't partner up with the darkness. Be different in your walk. And that's what Paul is contrasting here. He's contrasting the consequences, sort of, of, of partnering with the darkness. And the consequences of that are found in verse 5 where he says, For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Those are the consequences for partnering with the world and partnering with their darkness. And he aims to show here the sort of pitfalls that come along and the contrast between darkness and light. And you can see that very clearly in this passage. Before we sort of get into the meat of what I want to say, I also would like to say this, that Ephesians, as we've seen before, is a, is, a, is a very similar to other Pauline letters in the sense that it follows sort of a Pauline pattern, if I can say that. So Paul, as a writer, he was not just a, a great biblical writer, he was just a great writer in general. And his letters follow a sort of similar pattern in that at the beginning of his letters, he would champion and remind whoever he is writing to of the truth and the, and the absolute immutable fact of the gospel. So, as we can see, Ephesians 1 through 3 are really gospel chapters, right? They are reminding us and telling us about God's unimaginable and incomprehensible love. The love that saves sinners, the love that comes to sinners, the love that comes down for us. And he writes eloquently about that in those chapters. And you can see this kind of pattern happen throughout his other letters. Romans comes to mind, Colossians, which is also similar to Ephesians he follows a pattern. First, gospel, and then he moves and he shifts into behavior. First, grace, and then how that grace informs how we live for truth. He doesn't get them mixed up. He doesn't uh, convolate them. He, he has a very uh, stringent sort of pattern. Remind these Christians of the gospel, of where they stand in the Lord, and then that will inform them how they are to walk in the Lord. And that's what he's moving into here. But he doesn't leave that root. The root of your Bible is that love. The unimaginable love of God that saves us. But that root, that's the root of the Bible that is always, it always bears fruit in our lives. 
And that's why we have to see that this love that we've been seeing, this gospel that we've been seeing through Ephesians 1 through 3, it, it never leaves you unchanged. The grace of God, yes, 100%, I will die for this, that it saves sinners exactly as they are. It doesn't call them to change before they come to them. It saves sinners where they are, but here it is never leaves you where you are. It doesn't just leave you where you are. It brings you and it changes you. As it says in the Psalms, that, that God has pulled me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. It changes you. Grace changes you. And as we saw in Ephesians 2, that this grace of God comes down to dead people, yes, but what does it do? It, it raises them back to life and informs them how to walk. It doesn't just leave them there. And that's what Paul is getting into. We, uh, with Pastor Jay, he started in Ephesians 4, it, where, where Paul begins that chapter with, therefore, he's, he's saying, we, remember those things that we were just talking about. That's the basis for what I'm going to talk about now. And he does something similar here. He says, without forgetting the love of God, therefore be followers of God. And so he starts with this new sort of conversation about how the love of God informs our walk. And he begins by appealing to these Christians to be followers. That's a really important word, followers. It's actually better rendered imitators. You could say, be imitators of God as dear children. And I love that picture. A picture of a child sort of looking at their parent and wanting to imitate them in their mannerisms and their words. And, and Lydia is doing that with us, right? If you don't know, we have a little 16-month-old little girl. Her name is Lydia. And she's starting to copy. If we, we were driving and we were just, you know, sticking out our tongues and she started doing the same thing and it's really cute. But she's starting to copy us. And it's really, uh, I think that is a beautiful picture of what we are supposed to be as God's children. Copying the Lord, not out of a sense of fear, but out of a sense of love. You know, um, this is kind of relevant for those of you who like the National Basketball Association, which I am a big fan of, <laughs> which you probably know. Uh, Michael Jordan is arguably the best basketball player ever. Now, you can come at me. I will s debate you on that, and we can talk about that in another venue, perhaps. But anyways... Uh, Michael Jordan, he, what is he, one of the things he's most famous for, though, is not just the shoes and the dunks and all that kind of stuff. It's sticking out his tongue, right? <laughs> you, you could, if you look at pictures and highlights and clips of Michael Jordan, um, he was always sticking out his tongue. And it's, I, I grew up sort of idolizing Michael Jordan because I idolized basketball. And I had this, this documentary on VHS. Now, some of you may, don't know what VHS is, but I still remember what VHS is. And I wore out this VHS tape. It was called Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me. And it was an awesome documentary. It was awesome. It was so good. But in that documentary, I remember uh, kind of learning the fact that Michael Jordan picked up that habit from his dad. So uh, as his dad was, you know, working in the lawn or working on a car, his dad would stick out his tongue out of, you know, concentration or determination. He was totally invested at what he was doing at the task at hand. And so Jordan, as a young boy, he started picking that up. And now he made it famous. So now when he's on the court sort of eviscerating a national basketball team, <laughs> he's sticking out his tongue out of concentration or determination. He made it famous and sort of the rest is history. Jordan sticking out his tongue. But I think in the same way, we are to look at our Father and copy Him. 
imitate him, follow him. And this is why, this is where it gets really important because as children imitate their, the mannerisms of their parents out of love, that's how we are to imitate our Heavenly Father, out of love, out of an affection and a devotion for them. There's no sense of fear there. You know, God is not whipping you into obedience. We are not obeying and following and copying the Lord Jesus out of a sense of dread, out of, out of because we are forced or because we are threatened by something. It's not out of a fear of punishment that we are imitating God. This is why Paul says, therefore, because of the immovable love of God for you, therefore, be imitators of him. God's love cannot go away from you. It cannot waver from you. Therefore, that's your foundation to imitate the Lord in love. And I think the more we see ourselves as his dear children, as it says, we will also see that that love can never be taken away from us. And if that love can never be taken away from us, then we can be all the more confident in our copying of Jesus Christ, however imperfect that copy is. (laughs) Because trust me, if you try and imitate God, you're going to end up being a little bit flawed. You're going to have a flawed copy of the Lord Jesus, but that doesn't stop you in the motivation of copying the Lord. And actually, this is what Paul, this is sort of the conclusion he came to. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5 really quick, I'm just going to read two verses there, or three verses, yeah, two verses. 2 Corinthians 5, where he kind of comes to this conclusion that what what, what is compelling him, what is motivating him in his ministry? And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us because we thus judge. That if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all. That they which which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Jesus Christ was compelling Paul. He wasn't doing what he was doing out of fear, out of dread, out of any sense of worry that something would be taken away. He was doing it because he knew that he could not be moved from God's love. Just as a child knows that they can't be moved out of the love that you have for them. So therefore, as we approach this topic of imitating God, we have to ask this question, how do we imitate God? And two really quick points as we uh, hasten. Two really quick ways that we imitate the Lord Jesus in our lives. The first is this, don't be afraid of the dark. Following God, as we see here in verses 1 and 2, necessitates following God in the darkness. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You see, just as Jesus Christ entered our dark world of rebellion and sin and despair, we are called to enter the same world and champion the truth of God's love. Walk in love. Our duty, our calling is showcasing love to a dark world. Our duty is that. It's not, we're not called back into the darkness to go back to our old habits. 
We're not called there to go back and, and kind of slip into the old ways and, and cozy up to the world and just make them feel comfortable. No, we are called to go back and broadcast and shout to the top of our lungs the good news of grace that comes to sinners and changes them and rescues them and delivers them from an eternity in hell. This is the calling of God. He says, remember where you came from. That's why he says in verse 8, for ye were sometimes in darkness. Don't forget that that was you. And now look at what you are now. He says, for ye were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light in the world. Or excuse me, light in the Lord. Walk in light. You are now remade by grace to walk in God's light. That's your mission. Following God in the darkness looks, I think, a a lot like a firefighter going into a house that's burning up. He's rushing in there, and he's rushing in there, and he's searching for any sort of survivor that he can grab and pull out. He's not there to chill out and have a cup of coffee. He's not there to to cozy up and get comfortable. He's there out of a sense of urgency. He's there on mission. He is a person who has this sense of desperation, and he's looking for survivors. (laughs) The same way we are to go into the world. Looking for survivors, seeing who we can pull out by grace. And we imitate God in the dark by showing other sinners the same grace that we have been shown. And this matter, this calling is urgent. That's why Paul says at the end of this passage, look at 14 of our text, where he says, Wherefore he saith, Awake, rise up, get up from your dead religion, Ephesians. Awake, you who sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's not yours, it's not something you muster up, it's not something that you have found in yourselves. This light is God's, and He will give it to you. See then that you walk circumspectly, walk wisely, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. This world is dark, this world is evil, this world is on a mission against God. So he says, your mission is to be the light of God's truth in this dark world. He says, rise from your sleepy spirituality. Rise from your lethargic religion, he says in verse 14, and walk in love. Actually, walk in forgiveness. Because look at verse 32 of chapter 4, right above our text where Paul ends that chapter with, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Don't forget the immeasurable amount of forgiveness you've been shown. And show it to others. Follow God by forgiving other people as you have been forgiven. A A forgiveness that comes not because of who you are, but because of the person doing the forgiving. Follow God by forgiving others. Or turn with me to 1 John 3, 16. I'm going to read three verses there. 1 John 3, 16. The apostle says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, 
And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Show your love for others by loving people who are also in darkness. Follow God into the darkness and showcase His love. This is your calling. And the the point is, we don't have to be afraid of going there. It's a scary thing, going out into the world and showcasing God's truth and God's light. People are going to be against you. People are going to say things uh, hateful towards you. And the point is, we don't have to be afraid because God is with us in the darkness. As it says in Psalm 119, 105, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That light is the Lord Jesus. He is the light that we reflect. It's not a light that we sort of emanate from ourselves. We are reflections of His light. And He is that light that we carry with us. And He's the light that shines in us, as it says in John chapter 9, verse 5, where Jesus declares quite boldly, excuse me, John 9, verse 5, uh, that He is the light of the world. Uh, I missed my mark here, John 9, 5. Let me get it. Jesus stands up and says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The light that shines in you, the light that's emanating out from you as you walk into the darkness, as you copy God in the dark, is the light of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, going back to our text in Ephesians, as we walk as children of light, we can know 100% for sure that God walks with us. Your Father is with you, so don't be afraid of the dark. But secondly, and almost more importantly, don't get used to the dark. Don't get used to the dark the dark. We imitate and copy our Lord Jesus Christ by not letting our light get used to the spiritual and to the moral darkness that is defined by our world. Look what he says in verse 3 of our text again. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. Let it never be heard of you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Jump down to verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. What Paul is saying here, don't let your spiritual eyes adjust to the world's darkness. Yeah, that's an awesome thing in science, but it's awful for your spirituality. Don't let your eyes adjust to the darkness of the world and change your light. You know, your phone, your smartphone is pretty smart. (laughs) 
He has this, you know, if you have an iPhone, like an older one, those little circles at the very top above the microphone, you know what that is? It's an ambient light sensor. And what it does is it reads your surroundings, and it can adjust the level of the brightness on your screen according to the brightness outside. So, you know, if you're in a dark room, it's going to kind of lower it. You don't need as much brightness because it's, it's, it's not as dark or, or it's not as bright around you. But if you walk outside and it's super sunny, your iPhone is going to get really, really bright. And I think the same way sometimes we as Christians, we have a sort of spiritual light sensor in our hearts. And based on our surroundings, we turn down the brightness of our witness. We turn down the brightness of our, uh, sort of, uh, of our grace for those people that need it. And what Paul is saying here is don't turn down the brightness. Actually, get brighter, young Ephesians. Turn up the light. Because grace has made you different. Grace has made you light. It's remade you, as he says in verse 8 again, for you were sometimes in darkness, you were once as they are, but now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. This is what you are. You were once in darkness, and now you are light. You have been remade, you have been redeemed, you have been saved and rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, don't let your life be known for those things that are known in the world. That's, that's what he says in verse 11 again. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't let your life be known by the fruits of the world. Because what does their fruit look like? It's fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness and filthiness or foolish talking. You know what he means there? Paul is saying, don't let this fo- filthy or foolish talking, this jesting become of you. He's saying, don't wink at corruption. This is serious. He's saying this is a, a, a time to be urgent in your, in your light, in shining your light in the darkness. Don't wink or joke at the world's filth, he's saying. Don't let your character become cam- contaminated by what the world has contaminated themselves with. That's what he says in verse 3. Because he's saying all of these things are not becoming of the saints. They should never describe someone who is a saint of God. He says, what should describe them? Well, look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You see that phrase again in Galatians chapter 5, which we've been looking at, by the way, on Wednesdays. And as we have seen in the fruit of the Spirit, those things are descriptors, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, temperance, long-suffering, patience, faithfulness, faith, I've probably missed or missed some of those, but that's okay. Those fruits of the Spirit describe a person who knows and, and, and who is secure and confident in the fact that God has loved them and has saved them. They describe the Christian. They describe the child of God that walks in light. So you see where the world is described as sort of filled with lust and self-indulgence. The world just does whatever feels good. The darkness of the world just does whatever feels right. That's what Paul is saying in verses 3 through 7. They're defined by self-indulgence. You, Christian, you Ephesians, you should be defined by love and self-sacrifice. You should be defined by the light, is what he's saying. 
opposite of the world. And that's what light is. It's opposite of darkness. Look at verse 8 again. For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10. Prove what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove them. Expose them. Your job, believers, my job on this world, why we are kept here, is to expose the world's darkness, not out of a sense of, aha, I got you, but expose them and point them to the light of the world. Not to point them to your light, not to point them to your truth, not to point them to you. It's exposing and pointing to the greater light, to the light of the world. And that's why... That's why we are here. If you turn to Matthew 5, look at verses 14 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus is saying as he begins his Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You glorify God. You copy the Lord Jesus. You imitate God your Father by not letting your light get used to the dark, by not turning down your brightness of your witness, but by turning it up. Because grace as Paul has said over and over again, grace makes a difference. Grace changes you. Grace will uh, automatically transform your whole life. And what he's saying here is that uh, walk in that change. Walk in that difference. And as he says in verse 10, prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Walk and prove the deliverance that lives in you. Don't let your light slide. It's very tempting to do that, to turn down our brightness. The world is here on a certain matter, and Christians will define themselves here. Maybe that was in the 50s or something. Now the world is here. Some Christians operate by sliding with the world. See, we're not exactly like them. We're here. But people, we stand for the truth that doesn't move. It doesn't slide with how the world slides. It doesn't change with how the world changes. We stand in the light of the truth of God, which is unmovable. It is fixed. It is forever. We don't slide. We don't turn down our brightness. Because no matter how dark the world gets, we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in the light. That's what he says. In, if Flip over one more page to Ephesians 6. I don't want to steal Pastor Jay's thunder, but look at verse 13 where Paul says this, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, the dark day, and having done all to stand. This is your calling. Stand and walk in the light, not letting the darkness sort of dim your brightness, but turning it up. Stand for truth and stand for grace. Because we are children of light. And I would say this, that nothing makes God smile on his dearly loved children as much as when we try and copycat his love and forgiveness for other fallen people. God smiles on that. 
Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't get used to the dark. The days are evil. So Christian, turn up your brightness. Let's pray.